people. It's very hard. It's, there is no hatred like the Palestinian hatred of Israel and Jewish people, and probably the other way around also. I don't know. You know, it's not as obvious, but probably that's it, too. So sometimes you have to let things play out, and you have to see where it, where it ends. The sad part is there would have never been an attack on Israel, and there would have never been a counterattack on... Gaza. Yeah. I mean, Gaza, what's happening to Gaza, it's just unbelievable. You've seen the images. You've no, heard the horrible. stories. No, it's horrible. It's horrible on both sides. Uh, it would have never happened. Welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 131. Episode 131, the day is November the, let's check, 15th, November the 15th, year of our Lord, 2023, and very, very impressive cold open there from the great Donald J. Trump in times of chaos and times of, of war and uncertainty, the fog of war, the law of uncertain outcomes in times of, of, um, Polarization, politicization, uh, and and ultimately tribalism, whether that tribalism be ethnic or or racial or geographical or national or or, or religious or whatever the case may be, we are political. Even um, we are certainly falling into more tribal times, and I think Donald Trump's comments there about the conflict there about the conflict between Palestine and Israel uh, is a true sign of leadership and that's why the episode today is why Donald Trump and I got a number of videos for you a few videos that we're going to show this is our Newsday Wednesday's news show so I'm going to go to a couple videos to try and help articulate my point uh, or, or my pitch, uh, so to speak, about Donald J. Trump. But when you see a video like that, when you see a, a sentiment expressed like that from Donald J. Trump on one of the most controversial and heated, uh, emotion-filled topics in recent world history, that being the conflict there between Israel and Palestine, I think I think Donald Trump speaks well for himself on why Donald Trump, which is why I open the show with with his own words and you know again I, I go back to to my um my coming into the America first nationalist populist movement the MAGA movement for lack of a better lack of a better term and I don't think there's anything wrong with the term MAGA let's just start there make America great again there was a time in this country's history maybe more racially divided, maybe a little more structurally uh, unfair to certain groups of people, absolutely. But at the same time, in the same, in the same breath, there was a time in this country's history 
when this country was operating from a place of self-sufficiency and independence. And, and that was the, the building block of this nation's greatness on the world stage. And there is this nation and how it functions for its citizens within the nation. That's what America first really means. But then there's also how the nation functions in comparison, by comparison to other nations that we interact with on the world stage. And we have become subject to many international ideologies, many international policies, many international uh, trade agreements, for example, that have all but bastardized what it means to be an American citizen and, and the fundamental value of our citizenship. And that's really what, what's at the heart of the America First movement, the America First sentiment. Now, has America First been other things throughout history? Sure. A lot of things have their meanings changed across history. And when we become beholden to what things meant historically, and we, we don't allow ourselves the ability to update what those things mean today, we've, we've betrayed uh, everything that's sensible, logical, reasonable, everything that's prudent, everything that's uh, utility about, about the English language or, or language writ large. And that's what language is. It evolves. It, it changes meaning. It, 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 it is a product of the spirit of the times. And so we have to be willing to adjust to that. Now, do we just let words be changed for no good reason? or with no reason, or with no logic, or with no merit, or with no, no, no. And, and you have to be able to balance these things. And, and that's why I take the time out, the extra time out, to try and explain the critical thought of, of, of issues, of topics, of, of problems, of, of, of what we see today in the world. You have to have that, that internal dialectic about what, 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 what's taking place in our country and all around the world. Yeah, we want to adopt the things that are better. We want our we want our thinking. We want intelligence to evolve, but we don't want it to evolve recklessly. We don't want it to evolve haphazardly. We don't want it to evolve um, with, without merit or without good reason. So I say all that to say my my coming into the America First movement. Um, was greatly driven by Steve Bannon, the great Steve Bannon, who we want to thank for streaming the podcast on War Room's Getter page and Rumble page. Um, it was the great Steve Bannon who methodically, meticulously laid out a number of political ideas that had to do with the current structure of government and the way that our country and the system operates that um, helped me see what was valuable about Donald Trump. And, what, and, and even more so Donald Trump personally, even more so than Donald Trump personally or Donald Trump as a candidate or Donald Trump as the president or Donald Trump of the past or whatever the case may be, much bigger than Donald Trump himself. What Steve Bannon articulated, what Steve Bannon has continued to articulate through the War Room platform, through, through being a public figure out there and a political thought leader is a set of ideas that have to do with the fundamental basis of what it means to be an American citizen. For example, uh, the economy. And I think the economy was a huge piece. And, and now we're headed into another chapter of, of a great conflict there in the Middle East, one that already involves us and could involve us, could involve us even further. And 
could surely be uh, the catalyst for a, a world war. And some would say we're already in a world war. Uh, so with, with, that, with that being the circumstance, I think it, it proves Steve Bannon's position even more relevant than any time in, uh, over the past 10 years, over the past eight years. And that point is that economics, economics are the underpinnings of war. They're the, they are the, the building blocks. They are the prerequisite. The, the condition of the economy, the condition of the economics is the, the undercurrent of what becomes war. Um, and Steve did a very, very good job early on early, early on, articulating the problems with the administrative state and what Donald Trump would eventually articulate. And, and Donald Trump himself did a very good job with articulating that the D.C. elite is a problem. The corruption in the D.C. elite is a problem. The crony capitalism and lobbyism and special interests within the D.C. elite are a problem. And I'm going over this now. The, the reason why I'm doing this episode is because over the last couple of days, just by coincidence, I've, I've had to have a number of conversations with people who I'm very close to about my political views. Uh, and, and I don't think that we should shy away from having political discussions in our families, in our homes, in our communities with the people that we, uh, that we live closely to. I think actually we should embrace it and we should even seek it out a bit. I mean, we should be trying to actively, uh, we should be trying to actively soundboard the things we're thinking about with other people who we trust and love. And you may find that they have something to offer that can change your perspective for the better. You may find you have to stand up for a certain perspective or viewpoint that they may not fully understand. And, and here I am, right, talking about the great Donald Trump and, and trying to help people that, that still don't get it to, to better understand. And it can be exhausting sometimes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it, because... When you see it, once you see it, once you hear it, it can't be unseen, it can't be unheard. And I think a, a large portion of the country, a significant portion of the country that has been uh, inundated with an unlimited, almost infinite amount of anti-Trump propaganda from the mainstream media industrial complex, from the machine, from the intelligence community, from the deep state, all things that certainly are quantifiable, are measurable, we know exist. Um, the amount of misinformation, the amount of bi uh, partisan political rhetoric that has come down on Donald Trump from on high um, is significant. So significant that when I meet people who have a typical position about Donald Trump, um, I almost, I almost uh, feel bad for him uh, because I get it, right? And at a time, I would have been in a very similar place. Now, it just so happens that I've been fortunate enough in my life to seek out politics, to seek out political dialogue, to seek out things pertaining to much bigger issues beyond myself because of how I came onto the public scene as a young adult, talking and speaking and doing interviews and going out and and and, and uh, going out and doing presentations and and speaking in front of large crowds of people about broader issues like mental health. Right, Your pr mental health 
being my entry point into the public discourse as a young adult um, sort of set me down the path to be able to seek out broader perspectives about all issues and, and what would eventually become more focused as it is now on politics. Um, so I'm fortunate in that way, and I've been blessed in that way, and I don't take that for granted, at least I try not to, which is why I feel a certain duty to take more time out to explain things as critically as I can as to try and either give permission for those out there in the audience to do so as well, or uh, just to, to reiterate how it actually can be done. And, and, and so again, here we are, and, and I have to explain to, to people all the time why Donald Trump. And you know, politics hit home. You know, but that, that's the thing that people are gonna start to feel more and more that these political conversations that are sort of abstract, they're on the television or they're on in the newspaper or they're, you know, they're, they're up in the cloud, so to speak, on the internet, um, they're going to start to hit home more and more. The, the real-life ramifications of certain ideological viewpoints are going to start to become more immediate to you personally. And that's why in my Congress campaign, I talked about the global affecting the local. And the same is true the other direction. The local, the local in any number of places all at once has an effect on the local. The United Nations is a good example of that, right? Every nation comes together and the, the sort of collective ethic of each individual representative or their representative government comes to an a, a international body as one to, to talk about whatever issue they're gonna talk about. So the two work in, in tandem. The global affects the local, the local affects the global. Well, there seems to be a pervasive global ideology around politics, around a number of things, right? And it's gonna start to hit home. So as it starts to hit home and you start to hear certain stories pop up that you have been sort of warning against for a number of, of episodes to say the least but but several years as well um you're forced to to in some ways say i told you so i mean i, I don't want to say that arrogantly or flippantly but but you're forced to recall the the recent history of you saying these things were coming to try and provide evidence that this isn't new this isn't just starting to happen there is there is a sequential nature of which these things have have come come to be. Um, and, and so I've been having those conversations for, for reasons I won't say right now, but I've been having those conversations and it just shocks me how much of the mainstream narrative about Donald Trump is still, uh, is, is still dominating some people's views. And what's scary about it is, is most of it's debunkable. So I'm going to go through that list today and say why Donald Trump Bear with me. We're about 15 minutes in. That was my my intro. Some of you they say my intros are too long, but but this is what it's about. I, I want you to understand what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and, and hopefully that can better better um, substantiate the content that we eventually end up putting out during the show and over the course of uh, our, our time putting out content. So I'm going to try and walk through this. Number one, when Donald Trump, you know, these are sort of myths, misnomers, mis, mis uh, uh, understandings about Donald Trump's arrival on the political scene. Number one, Donald Trump is not your typical Republican. Donald Trump is not 
the Republican brand that had become commonly associated with people like George W. Bush or the Bushes or or even Reagan or or you know Nixon or this whole this whole generation or two of Republican politicians. Donald Trump is not one of them. And I I think that's the place where you have to start. Because often Republican MAGA um conservative uh, America for all of these neocons, Rhino, all of these terms get conflated with one another. I mean, there, there's a huge breakdown of specific understanding of each of these terms, and I'm not going to go through each one, but just the 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 best example and the, the 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 most broad example I can give you probably is Donald Trump. And that many people, your average citizen who gets their politics from headlines, views the Republican Party as a, a sort of a hegemony, right? <laughs> I mean, a political hegemony. And in some case, in some sense it is, but in many cases it's not. And I think Donald Trump is a great example of how it's not. And in fact, his arrival on the, the scene, on the political scene, was first carrying on the business of the Tea Party, the Tea Party movement, uh, and, the, and the, the Ron Paul movement, and, and the, the Breitbarts of the world whose entire fight, their first, their first line of, of, of attack wasn't on the Democrats. It wasn't on the Clintons. It wasn't on uh, Barack Obama even. It was the Republican establishment. It was the George Bushes. It was the, the neoconservative, warmongers and and lukewarm milk toast rhinos that we come to refer to them you know we 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 have we have began to refer to them as now in in common discussion on the conservative side of the movement and many people still fight that and there are many people who are rhinos and don't realize they're rhinos the people people are neocons don't even realize they're neocons so that whole thing is still developing the point is donald trump was a landmark in time of our political culture and it was a person who was going to run as Republican that was going to fight the power and the momentum and the, the, um, the juice, let's say, of the mainstream Republican establishment, which from the days of George W. Bush had become pervasive in Washington, D.C. alone, let alone the rest of the country and, and the broader implications. Um, yeah, the Bushes had had al- already had a lot of power. You know, Herbert, uh, I mean, going back to Grandpa Bush, who was invested in the Nazi war machine and was brought up on charges for for putting money in with the Nazis. So uh, Prescott, that's Grandpa Prescott. Um, but you know, Daddy Bush, right, was another character himself in charge of the CIA, became president in, in the 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 security state and the intelligence community and what is now referred to as the deep state really got a formalized, uh, was really formalized, was really constituted, was really uh, concretized under Daddy Bush. And then little Bush just double and tripled down. And yeah, you could say it was the people around him and you could blame it on Cheney and, and you could blame it on Rumsfeld and you could blame it on all of these uh, king makers or, or, or king whisperers if you want to. But the, the, the truth is 
that that neocon culture was already laying in the weeds uh, well before George Bush came into office. And he surely did double down. And we all should be willing to say right now that the Iraq war was a complete scam. And it's a disgrace. It's, 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 a, um, it's an insult to our troops. It's a dark mark on our country that the war in Iraq was allowed to be carried out the way that it was. Um, and our troops deserve better and their families of, of the families of, of those troops that we lost in that theater, in the Iraq theater, deserve better and they deserve our apology and they deserve they deserve damages. Let's say that. Though the 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 soldiers that we lost to Iraq, the Iraq war uh, is a byproduct of a corruption so profound, those soldiers' families deserve damages. And I, and I honestly believe that. And if I was in charge, if I'm able to get to the United States Senate or if I'm able to ever one day sit in the Oval, I will make sure, I will do everything in my power to make sure that those families see, see uh, you know, that they see significant, significant um, payment. <laughs> payment. Uh, payment and apology for what they suffered through because that war was completely, completely corrupt, completely corrupt, completely unnecessary, completely unsubstantiated in any real evidence or any real intelligence. It was a complete Ponzi scheme, and we should be comfortable with that now. But that aside, it gets lost on many people that Donald Trump came into politics fighting against those people, fighting against that Republican establishment, that mainstream Republican establishment, and the donors and the Koch brothers and the Carl Roves and, and the Carl Roves of the world worked for, for little Bush. And they were right there when we went to the Iraq war and they, they transitioned from being a part of a, a, a disgraced administration, which the Bush administration became a disgraced administration. I mean, Rumsfeld and, and, and Cheney and all of these people came under huge scrutiny in the end for the Iraq war and the American sentiment towards it was exactly what I have expressed now. And, you know, as we move away from a thing, everybody kind of forgets and they move on. But, but I'd like to call, now that we're maybe going back into the Middle East for a number of reasons, that's not what this podcast is about, but because we're having this discussion again about a current conflict in that region, it's good to remember the last set of conflicts in that region. And um, it's right to remember that the Iraq war was, was not a, a war, it was not a, a theater where we had the moral high ground. And shortly, it's not one that was, that was um, carried out and, and the, American, the, the American approval never reflected that corruption. We've already been down this road. The American people have spoken. People were very, very upset with what we did in Iraq once they got the full scope of information as to what was taking place there, what was happening, and even more importantly, why we went. So Donald J. Trump fought against these people, and that's where you got to start out there. If you don't understand why Donald Trump, if you're having trouble understanding why people support and follow Donald Trump so adamantly, so passionately, it's because there's a war. There is a civil war. There is a there is a rift. There is a schism. There is a fight going on in the Republican Party 
that many people who aren't in the Republican Party or don't understand Republican politics probably haven't gotten a full dose of information about. In fact, I know you haven't, because when the mainstream liberal media, when the, when the liberal-dominated mainstream media industrial complex shows you Republican politics, they paint, it, they paint a caricature of it. And that caricature never lets you know about the genuine fight happening inside the Republican Party. And when they do, they always make it seem like Donald Trump and the movement supporting him is the extreme movement and the remnant of the neocon mainstream Republican apparatus is somehow the moderate and more pragmatic ones. And I'm going to show you a video that echoes just that. A few weeks ago, I showed you when Nancy Pelosi said it. You know, these are just a few extreme Republicans. The Republicans have some reasonable, reasonable people. The reasonable people she's talking about are the ones that are funded by the Kochs, are the ones that are sponsored by Fox News and the Murdochs, are the ones that have the, the political consultants like Karl Rove. They're the Liz Cheney's of the world. These are the people who, in a cultural sense, but in some cases, in a personal direct sense, were involved in the promulgation of one of the most corrupt wars in this nation's history, for sure this nation's recent history. And the Lindsey Grahams and the, uh, the Mitch McConnells and even the Kevin McCarthy's, I mean, they're not far off the beaten path. Let's just be honest. Whether they were involved there, Mitch McConnell, he was there for sure, and there's some other people there as well. Lindsey Graham may have been a popping, bouncing around at that time as well. He wasn't a power player yet. It took for the Bushes to go under that level of scrutiny for them to kind of lose their power base with all the cronies that Dick Cheney had placed all around Washington, D.C. And then you saw a few remnants of that, 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 that same, you know, that same enclave, that same political enclave of neocons hang around and, and you know, resurface. And that's what happened. Karl Rove resurfaced. Your guys like Mark Levin, they resurfaced. And, and they're the, they're the re remnant of, of the neocon uh, mentality. And the other remnant of the neocon mentality resides in the Democrat Party because there are a lot of neocons over there in the Democrat Party. They're hiding. And, and when we go to war, when we get ready to go to war, anytime we get ready to go to war, you, they really start to show ex exactly who they are. But I'm going to show you a video from Hillary Clinton that's saying exactly that same thing. These people are extreme. So you can't hold both views for all of those people at home who may be black, who may be on the fence, who maybe not understand that much about the the inter um, the insider baseball politics of Washington D.C. and the history of the two parties and the history of the two factions or movements or any of that. For all of those of you out there who don't really get it, and you think to yourself, "Why Donald Trump? Well, what is this movement about? This movement is about the 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 rejection." the pushback, the, the disconnect between the Republican power in Washington, D.C., the donors, and the grassroots uh, uh, base of the party. They'll have you think it's about racism. They'll have you think that the, the Mitch McConnells of the world or the, the more moderate Republicans are more favorable to inclusive politics or, or uh, you know, they, they're more amenable to try and reach across the aisle. Yeah, people can try and reach across the aisle. That don't mean they're reaching across the aisle in your interest. They may say they're doing it in your interest. They may tell you that. They may promote it that way, but that doesn't make it so. We know that. People aren't always who they purport themselves to be. In fact, more times than not, because of the crisis of sacred honor, and in this case, national honor, that we face in American culture, 
people more often aren't who they purport themselves to be more, more so than they are. And, and there's no, nothing different about the Republican Party. Of course there's not. These people who reach across the aisle are what has, be, has come to be known in the conservative America first uh, nationalist populist MAGA movement as the Uniparty. So when you hear the term Uniparty, don't roll your eyes and go, oh, there's a conspiracy theory. No, this is exactly what you've always said and believed. For you people that are maybe on the left still, or you people who are cultural Democrats in black communities, or, or whatever the case may be, this is what you've always believed, that the Republicans and Democrats work together. And you hear it all the time. I see you saying it. I see you saying it in the comments. I see you saying it in the live chat. No, the one party's not better than the other. They're working together. Exactly. Bingo. You got it. You got one of the fundamental cornerstones of what the America First movement is really all about. We know the two parties are just as bad. The Donald Trump movement within the Republican Party was trying to go after the Republican establishment for that very corruption. And if you don't understand the history of the Republican Party and the amount of power that had been aggregated into the Bush neocon faction of the Republican Party, you don't understand the first thing about this country's current political landscape. Yes, the Uniparty is pervasive. The Uniparty is corrupt. The Republicans and Democrats put on a WWE show about cultural wedge issues, and they go sit down and have steaks and whiskey on your tax dollar and find workarounds on all the important issues so eventually they can find a, a, a reason, they can find a workaround or a justification to steal more of your tax money. They're using your tax money to eat steak and have whiskey to work deals to take money from lobbyists and special interests to eat more steak and drink more whiskey or buy more hookers to find out ways to figure out ways to make plans to steal more of your tax money to kick back to the lobbyists and the special interests or whoever else put in their own pockets. This is the uniparty scam that Donald Trump went to work on. And this is an important place that we start here in this conversation about why Donald Trump and I can hear, look, I can hear all of the criticisms of Donald Trump's presentation, uh, the, the way he articulates things, uh, his moral shortcomings, uh, his past business dealing. I can hear all of those criticisms, and I'm willing to be objective in saying, yeah, I, well, that, that wasn't moral, or that wasn't a good way to do business, or I don't like how he said that, or he could have been more articulate with that. All of that's fine. And if you're a Donald Trump supporter or you're a Donald Trump uh, fan or if, you, if you're, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's going to vote for Donald Trump or you voted for Donald Trump, you should be able to be objective about Donald Trump and say, hey, yeah, when he's wrong, he's wrong. If he's wrong, he's wrong. We can say that. That doesn't make us any less uh, supportive of, of his candidacy. Certainly not in my case. I can hear all the criticisms about Donald Trump and I can be objective in my assessment of those criticisms and in my voicing, in voicing my opinion about those criticisms, fine. But what I'm not going to do, what I refuse to do, is play a game where I pretend that the people who are bringing those criticisms are bringing them from a genuine, from a genuine starting point, from a genuine premise. That I'm unwilling to do. And that's the second thing that's important to say here. All of these mainstream media industrial complex shills, all of these mainstream media industrial complex commentators, 
and their political leaders and the corporate lobbyists and special interests that sit behind them and the international, you know, bodies of government and, and, you know, secret fraternities and things and the good old boys clubs that sit behind them and the bankers and the people who benefit from all of the political corruption who sit behind. I mean, all of these people have a tough time trying to convince me that their rejection of Donald Trump is based on him being corrupt or based on him being immoral or based on him being a bad guy. I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. A set of corrupt, uh, uh, and we all accept, we all accept that many of these people who were involved in American government, American politics, were obscenely, obscenely corrupt well before Donald Trump popped on the scene. We just talked about Bush. Donald Trump hadn't even thought about running for president in any serious way when Bush was making a mockery of the American people during the Iraq war. Donald, that's not on Donald Trump. That wasn't his fault. He wasn't involved in that. So the corruption there in D.C. was already out of control. So if we accept that, which is quite undeniable, if the corruption was out of control well before Donald Trump, that means that there was some acceptance of corruption in that ecosystem, in that culture. In our culture as Americans, we had accepted a level of corruption from our leaders. And so what makes more sense that a group of people who are, who are already, who are already as corrupt as the day is long, don't like Donald Trump or don't like the new kid on the block. Donald Trump's not a kid, but you know, it's the same. Who don't like the new guy in town because he's corrupt like they are or because he's challenging the corruption. And in one of my conversations over the last couple of days, I made this fundamental point. What people don't like the most often is the inconvenience of change. What people fight most often is the inconvenience of a shift in the status quo, a substantial, a significant, uh, a palpable shift in the status quo. That's what people reject and fight most often. People don't fight more of the same. That's not common. All of us can attest to that from our own personal lives. The thing that when, 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 people, when people have a, a, a rejection against something, when people have a strong and passionate feeling or emotion or get ready to fight, it most often will, will happen along the lines of something that's going to radically change the way that they view the world, the way that they live their life, the way that they you know, make money, the way that they take care of themselves, whatever it is, that significant change is going to be what people fight the, the hardest most often. We all know it personally. We don't have to look at politics. Just look in your own personal life. Look at the people in your family. Look at the people in your community. People don't like change. They don't like immediate change. They don't like change that comes quick, that comes rapid. They don't like a change in thinking. They don't like to have to change the way that they, that they view a thing, which is a huge problem. And it's one of the things that our leaders have to make a priority in, in, in their leadership is challenging people to come out of that, that acceptance of, of a corrupt status quo 
for convenience, and that's hard to do. Part of the, as a side note, part of the advancement, part of the trajectory of human society, of civilization, is that technology or, or just man's general uh, industriousness, uh, the industrialized, the, the uh, industrial revolution, and then just where man has, has come to uh, and, and the way that we structure our society is based on making things more convenient for people. So that, that impulse, that, um, that tendency has become baked into the entire human civilization. We want things to be easier. We want things to be more convenient. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's great utility in that. The danger is when the corruption becomes the convenience that we get accustomed to. And that has certainly become the case in D.C., and Donald Trump fought that. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Bushes, Karl Rove, uh, you know, pick, the, pick, pick somebody. Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi. These people don't dislike Donald Trump because he's corrupt. They're all involved in corruption 24-7, 365 days a year. And that's a fundamental fact. They are all involved in a corrupt culture 24-7-365. Some more directly than others, some in more ways than others, in different ways than others. But the, the reality is that they've all accepted a corrupt culture there in Washington, D.C., and a broader political and corporate culture, a, a, a broader corrupt corporate and political culture around the country that reaches all around the world. They're 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 full they're pot committed to it. Pelosi's getting rich, but Barack Obama's got a a house on Martha's Vineyard, you know, as a three hundred thousand dollar president on a three hundred thousand dollar president salary, and we should be worried about climate change. But you buy a twenty million dollar, you know, beachfront property in the middle of a climate crisis when the oceans are rising. Give me a break. The Clinton Foundation is worth billions of dollars. Not to not to mention the amount of economic influence it it can it it has. Karl Rove is, you know, almost inextricably linked to the RNC and has his little fingers on his little his little you know scaly, grimy, slimy fingers all over the Republican politics across the country. Joe Biden taking money from China. I mean, come on now. These people are as corrupt as the day is long, and and I get it. I, I understand. I think we should weed the corruption out, but I understand how we got there as well. My point is, when Donald Trump comes along and challenges the status quo, don't think I'm stupid enough to let you tell me that it's his corruption that you have a problem with. And it wasn't the corruption they had a problem with. It was calling them out that they had a problem with. It was putting a spotlight on the corruption that they had a problem with. And ultimately, it was his promise to change that culture of corruption that they had a problem with, and they had a big problem with it. And one of the things that you can see quite clearly about how this whole anti-Trump propaganda has played out is, like I've said before, the hallmark of Donald Trump's presidency was that we didn't go into any new wars. And if there is one issue that you can identify, the uniparty, the neocon, neoliberal world order around is military. And the budgeting for military and the special interests and corporate lobbying for military. It's one that you can see very 
clearly. All you have to do is go and look at the, the bipartisan support for certain military, initi- military initiatives and, and the people who donate money to the candidates. It's very easy to see. So Donald Trump comes in, he calls out the D.C. swamp. He doesn't want to get into any new wars. He effectively doesn't get us into any new wars. And, oh, just as a bonus, he raises the economy for everybody, gives money back to them, puts the working class man or woman, citizen, back into the room with the elites. And you all think that their their hatred for him is really about Stormy Daniels, really about some video that he gets recorded talking on where he's saying things that 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 are, you know, inappropriate towards women. You really think they don't like him because how he handled his business? How he handled his real estate business? You really think they don't like him because he uh, you know, be, because of his rhetoric? Are you kidding me? Grow up. Grow up out there, honestly. I know I'm only 32 years old, and I hate to have to be the one to say it that way because there's a lot of people who are a lot older than me who I respect and love, but you got to grow up. These people are using Donald Trump's personal flaws as a scapegoat to discredit the message, to discredit the message that has complete irrefutable merit. And there is a part of Donald Trump's message that has completely irrefutable merit, undeniable merit, indisputable merit. We all know what that is. These people are corrupt. They're dangerously corrupt, and they've been corrupt for a long time. And it's a reflection of our willingness to be governed by corrupt people. So when Donald Trump gets into office or when Donald Trump runs for office, let's not make it seem like that's the corruption we just can't stand. And this brings me to my next point. That was the Donald Trump platform. We're going to get rid of the Republican establishment that's aiding and abetting in this this corrupt expansion of federal government as a justification to take American citizens' tax money and squander or undermine the value of their citizenship. That's who Donald Trump and the America First movement is from a policy standpoint, from a fundamental policy standpoint. I'm not talking about the personalities and and, and what they specifically say on a given day or how they say it or or what they did 30 years ago or, you know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about from a policy standpoint, this is who the MAGA movement really is. The government's too big, it's too corrupt, and it's gotten really arrogant in its corruption because nobody will stand up and speak against it in any meaningful way. Now, in, in, um, in defense of themselves, as the establishment went to defend themselves, what did they lean on? They leaned on cultural wedge issues. Cultural wedge issues that, that for generations can't, can't really see any resolution. We don't, don't come to any real resolution. And we all know what they are. They're, they're, they're grievance, they're, they're identity-based grievance politics. Grievance-based identity politics. Black people have it unfairly, women have it unfairly, the LGBTQ has it unfairly, and, and so on and so forth. 
white men are dangerous, white men are bad, white men are racist, the country is racist, you're not a citizen of America, you're a citizen of a global community, give me a break. If you become a citizen of a global community right now, you're becoming a citizen of a global oligarchy of corrupt elites. You're not becoming a, a, a global citizen of some Christian, uh, you know, uh, altruistic, everybody needs to lend a helping hand to everybody else just out of the goodness of their heart type of society, civilization. And they, they could fence it that way. They can promote it that way. But it's, it's not even remotely close to what, what's going on globally. The best sign of which is none other than China. And we're all supposed to bow. I mean, Xi Jinping just visited in the last couple of days. In San Francisco, you got what looks to be uh, American Chinese or Chinese nationalists or, or maybe they're white liberals or, or whoever it is, certainly not Republicans, certainly not conservatives, rolling out to the streets and waving Chinese flags as Xi Jinping comes down the street like we're a tributary state to the CCP. The Chinese Communist Party. Are you people? Have you people lost your minds? But you're pro. But you're pro Palestine. You're free Palestine. But a man who is currently keeping ethnic minorities, Uyghur Muslims, in concentration camps at a number of two million or more. You're waving a flag and welcoming welcoming him to the country as though he just came down from from you know from Mount Sinai. Contradiction. But anyway, speaking of China, that's another issue that Donald Trump was very, very adamant about. And that's another issue that they were very, very upset with him on. You see how it's starting to run together? You, you, am I starting to paint the picture for you? First, it was calling out the corruption in the D.C. elite. Then it was vowing to change the corruption. Then he said how he was going to change the corruption, which started with the, the foreign policy and the trade policy as pertained to China which is completely inappropriate on a moral basis, let alone an economic or national security basis. It's just morally not, not compatible with what we say our values are here in America. Like, for example, not putting people in concentration camps based on their faith or their ethnicity, based on their minority, marginalized status. But hey, we find a workaround whenever it suits our political needs. China, no different. Donald Trump says he's going to go to work on China and everybody gets upset. Donald Trump effectively goes to work on China. And when Joe Biden comes in, the first order of business was to tell the LGBTQ that they would take priority. But from a policy standpoint, was to undo the China progress that the Donald Trump administration had made. And you see the latest video of the meeting there, the summit there. When Joe Biden comes out to greet Xi Jinping and he skips across the stage like he's meeting his childhood hero. Scary. Scary a man that doesn't know where he's at half the time when a foreign dictator comes and makes landfall on American soil. You're hopping and skipping across the goddamn stage. I'm sorry, Lord. Don't forgive me for, 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 uh, for using profanity in, in conjunction with the name, but you guys understand what I'm saying. You're hopping and skipping across the, t the, the stage. Any other time, you can barely find the energy and the zeal and the and the and the you know the the enthusiasm to stay awake. Xi Jinping pops up on you know makes landfall on American soil, and you're hopping and skipping across the stage with a big smile on your face. A foreign a foreign dictator 
who has vowed to displace America on the global stage as the world's superpower and has gone to work out in the open against the dollar as the reserve currency of the world, and you're hopping and skipping across stage to, to, to shake this guy's hand? We're at war with this country. What don't people get? And you wonder why they don't like Donald Trump, why they spend so much time fighting Donald Trump. And yeah, Donald Trump is on the record giving Xi Jinping credit for being the leader that he is. That doesn't mean it's a positive. That doesn't mean it's optimistic. It's giving your enemy credit where credit is due, which is a prudent thing to do, which is a prudent, which is always a prudent way to look at war, potential war, conflict. We're at war with the CCP. They waged it on us. If you don't understand, if you think the CCP, if you think the rise of China, if you think the rise of China is the product of some post-colonial uh, uh, injustice that was done to the Chinese people by Westerners or America, you have no understand, basic understanding of history. We didn't colonize China. That's Great Britain and the Euro Europeans deal, which will bring me later to another thing that Donald Trump did that everybody didn't like, which marked him for dead amongst our current corrupt elites, was threatening to pull out of the NATO deal and being the, protection, the, the protectorate of the entire European Union. But it was Europe that, that had an uh, opium war with China, not us. If anything, the Chinese should be thanking us. When Xi Jinping comes, he should be bowing to the American president because it was us who set them on the path to become the manufacturing superpower that they are today. Without us, without the Americans, without Kissinger and Nixon going into China and teaching them how to become a more capitalist, democracy-driven nation, there wouldn't be an airport in the entire country of China. There'd be nothing but countryside and rice paddies in that country. And that's the honest to God truth. If it wasn't for the Allied forces, if it wasn't for America dealing a death blow to the Japanese, which morally wasn't right to drop an atomic bomb, I, I'm not one of these people who says that that was okay. But what happened happened, and the outcome was the outcome. And us doing that kept the Japanese from completely colonizing China, which they were going to do, which they had already done. If it wasn't for America and the Allied forces, China would be run by Japan right now. China, There wouldn't be no Mandarin Chinese spoken on mainland China. They'd all be speaking Japanese. Unless the Japanese were just so crazy in their ethno-nationalism, they didn't even let the Chinese speak Japanese because they, they'd see it as beneath them in their culture. You're talking about samurai now. They have a different way of, they have a different way of, of thinking about things, which they showed in their, in their, uh, in their occupation of, of China. But the Chinese people, the, the CCP, they should be thanking America. I don't know what their beef is with us. We showed them how to be who they've become. And if you want to get right down to it, I say they owe us. Not only do they owe us for COVID-19 and what is now very, very widely regarded as the origin of, of the COVID-19 pandemic coming right there from their lab in Wuhan. Not only do they owe us, they may owe the entire world. 
they may the, owe the entire world damages for, for the a pandemic that was unleashed. And there may be some people here in America that need to be prosecuted for recklessness, for negligence, for, for medical and scientific malfeasance when it comes to gain-of-function research. That's a reality. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. But who are the Chinese to pretend like they're some victim of, of, of Western colonialism? They've benefited. They're the apple of the eye. They're the crown jewel. They're the, they're, they're, they are the, uh, the, you know, the, the pipe dream of most of the elite all around the country, all around the world. China-centric future, communism, technology-driven, surveillance-driven, authoritarianism-driven. And all of our elites line up to, to suck at the teat. And the one guy who said, we're going we're gonna to fundamentally restructure our trade agreement with China. This ain't right. That's the guy who is the, the most extreme. That's the guy who is the most dangerous. That's the guy who, who they got to tell you is a threat to democracy. It looks like he's a threat to communism. <laughs> I don't know how much of a threat to democracy he is. Looks like he's a threat to communism to me. I mean, let's just keep going on down the thread here. Let's keep going on down the line. Let's talk about January 6th. Let's talk about January 6th. First of all, let me say this with, with complete, complete clarity. The elections are not secure. I'll say it again. It is my opinion that the elections are not secure. And I don't have to listen to anybody who's talking currently to understand that the elections are not secure. I can go back to Democrat rhetoric from 2016 to confirm my assertion that the elections are not secure when they made the claim that Russians, that the Russians had interfered in the election. Now, they said that the, the Russians had interfered through the Internet or propaganda or misinformation or social media or so on and so forth. Okay, fine. The elections are insecure or are not secure in a number of ways. True. Doesn't change. Doesn't change the statement. Doesn't change the point. The point is the elections are not secure. And the American people have a right to be infuriated, infuriated that their elections are not secure, that their elected officials have not done the due diligence, have not made it a priority to secure the elections. Because what it looks like is a bunch of political elites are working for a bunch of corporate elites and, and special interests and doing their bidding instead of making sure and, and, and securing their own position within the system instead of making sure that the elections uh, have some integrity. And in a democracy, since everybody says, Donald Trump is the threat to democracy. In a democracy, the most important thing is that the elections are secure. I mean, I think that's like, that's the first step of having a functioning, legitimate democracy is you have to have legitimate elections. <laughs> the elections are not secure. I can go back to George W. Bush. Funny that name keeps coming up. When all the Democrats claimed that the 500 votes he won by in Florida, which gave him the electoral victory, were stolen, influenced by his brother Jeb Bush, who was the governor there. A little bit further back, 
little bit further back, but not that far back. 2016, 2000, you know, about 15 years. But I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember like it was yesterday and all the cultural Democrats, all the black folks, everybody who was, you know, all on the Al Gore train. Took that loss on the chin, complained about it and went on about their merry way and didn't care in the least if the election was actually secure or not. They carried on as though they didn't have a choice and the American people have been made to feel like they don't have a choice. That the, if, if our elites, if our political elites aren't going to go out of their way to ensure that the election is secure, then they have to live with it. I'll tell you this. When the people fear the government, you have tyranny. When the government fears the people, you have liberty. That is a foundational American belief. That is a fundamental, that is a fundamental of our American tradition, of American citizenship. That is a cornerstone. That is a core belief. That is a core value, core principle of being American. If your people fear the government, you have tyranny. If the government fears the people, you have liberty. When the Democrats believed, which I think probably is the case, looking back ex post facto, that George Bush won by 500 votes. I mean, 500 votes is like me going to a neighborhood and getting, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, that that margin of that margin of victory is so slight, it's horrifying. I mean, just in a general sense, even if there wasn't any cheating, an election that has so many people involved in it, so many, so many citizens that has such huge ramifications, such as uh, that, that has such big ramifications like the, the office of the president of the United States, a 500 vote difference is horrifying. Just in general, the fact that there was there was a you know allegation or belief in in corruption or, or election tampering is horrifying on another level, and it would not shock me if if it if if that took place. It just really would. I mean, would it shock any of you that the people who manufactured us going into Iraq, us going into Iraq for weapons of mass destruction that they knew weren't there? that there was no in real intelligence, cooked intelligence, that, that there were weapons of, mass destruction, uh, weapons of mass destruction there from a bunch of people who got rich by going into Iraq and they sent our sons and daughters to do the dirty work. And, and when we got bodies sent back, they stood, they stood and doubled down on the corruption by using those dead bodies to perpetuate the conflict. You think those people wouldn't find, find 500 extra ballots to get to win the election? Come on, guys, grow up, grow up. But the point is, all the cultural Democrats, all the Democrats sat by and took that on the chin and Al Gore conceded the election. And then he went on to become the czar of climate change, flying around on his private jet, talking about how carbon emission is going to destroy the planet for the future generations. But how big of a fight did they put up about the outcome of that election? I mean, elections and stolen elections have consequences. That's another, that's another um, that's another important policy position of the America First movement. Stolen elections have consequences. 
We saw the, the, the consequences of the stolen election when it came to George Bush getting in office. And who did Al Gore become? Well, Al Gore faded off into the, into the background to become super rich as a climate change czar and fly around all, all year long giving speeches, giving pontifications about why we can't have gasoline Mustangs and should go to EV vehicles and, and, and you know, let Elon Musk put a chip in our brain so we can drive, uh, you know, drive our car while browsing the Internet. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. Anybody ever think that Al Gore faded away real easily because he was in on the scam too? Ooh, that's dark. That really scare you. That really keep you up at night. See, but people don't want to go there. You know, that's oh, it's conspiracy theory. Yeah, because there's a lot of conspiracies going on. I mean, they admit that the conspiracies are taking place. They just want me to believe that it's one side or the other. But the way that my mind works is, what if all of you are in on it? How hard would it be for all of you to be in on it? And when I look at the result, when I look at the Iraq war and I, and I find the video of Hillary Clinton being in full support of the Iraq war and other, other mainstream Democrats being in full support of the Iraq war, I start to wonder, maybe Al Gore and the Democrats were in on it the whole time. Maybe this was a plan in a deep vault in the, in the uniparty safe. Since, the, since, you know, Daddy Bush and them went into Iraq during Desert Storm. Maybe the CIA always had a, a cutout plan for their paid assets, Saddam Hussein, who they worked with before to create stability in the region. I don't know. Think about it. I mean, we're talking about a, 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 a day. I, I want to remind people. We're talking about a day and age where we're amidst a conflict there in the Middle East. And, and some of these same country, countries People's nations are coming into to play here uh, around these current issues. Iraq, which is now a failed government. You know, we don't know what's going on in Iraq. Really, nobody can say it. Nobody talks about it. We got conflict in the Middle East, and you never hear about Iraq. Why? Because it's just a sign of an epic failure of Western intelligence and, and the status quo. So they just don't even speak about Iraq anymore. Uh, it's just from Israel to Iran. It's going to skip an entire country. Why? Because it's a sign of their failure. They failed. They failed in grand fashion. So Iraq's right there and Syria's right there, another failed state in many respects. Syria's there and I mean, Lebanon's run by Hezbollah. I mean, you know, you got a region there that's full of, full of uh, Western receipts. And Israel's at war and they never even talk about Iraq. I mean, they almost make sure, and I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm talking about Republicans. I'm talking about neocons. I'm talking about Nikki Haley's. This is why Vivek, and I'm going to play the video, the, the, the star moment of Vivek in one of these recent, recent debates here soon as well. But, um, you know, every time Iraq comes up, people, you know, people start to do this dance. I mean, they, they want to try and get around it. And it's, it's not by accident. It's not by accident at all that they want to try and dance around it. It's a huge sign of a failure, uh, of Western uh, failure, but even more so, it's a sign of a specific faction of the two-party political, uh, the, the, the two-party system, which is really a one-party system, the uniparty system. It's a huge failure on their resume. And they want to go back in again, and they want you to forget that they just failed in grand fashion so you won't cry foul 
that we would ever allow them to do the same thing again. And guess what? Israel was one of the nations that said there's no intelligence to, to corroborate that Saddam Hussein had anything to do with 9-11. The Israeli government. And there are some people out there that think that the, there was actionable intelligence from our military now, from the DOD. This isn't conspiracy theory. And I don't say this to try and denounce Israel in a time of conflict when they're having problems themselves right now. But there was, there was intelligence that was reported from the American military that said that Mossad and that the Israeli intelligence community had the ability to, to false flag an attack on Americans before 9-11 happened. Even after the, let's say that's true, which, you know, is a, is a long walk from, from what we're talking about, but I'm just showing you the variety of theories that are out there about some of these things that have popped off in our recent history. Let's just say it's true that Israel had some type of actionable intelligence or was involved in perpetrating or allowing a false flag to take place here in America and, and, with 9-11 for their own gain, their own strategic advance in the region. Even they weren't willing to throw it on Saddam. <laughs> Even the Israeli government's going, wait, wait, wait a second. How, how we pull Saddam into this? If you bring Saddam into it, you're going to create further instability in the region. We're trying to further our stability in the region. We don't need more instability by Iraq becoming a failed state and terrorism growing writ large right on our nation's, right on our border. Iraq borders, you know, Israel. I mean, it's right there. It's a stone's throw. Even the Israeli government told Bush and those guys that there's no actionable intelligence to say that Saddam had anything to do with this. Wild. Wild. Um, the, the point is, I got off on a tangent there, but the point is, to get back to it, the elections are not secure. The reason I got to that is because you could go back to the 2000 election and look at what happened there, and there was a huge cultural sentiment that something went wrong with that election. And then in 2016 again, and we know that these stolen elections or that elections being rigged have consequences, obviously. But you can't even say that the elections aren't secure. And that's the other point I want to make. It's ridiculous for us to pretend like the elections aren't secure in a, fun, in a very fundamental way. The technology, the manufacturers, the companies that make, that oversee, that maintenance, maintenance, our voter machines do not allow any level of government that we can keep track of or account of to, to, view, into the te to view into that technology to, to create a, uh, a, a trustworthy chain of custody of votes. That's the truth. That's the truth. I mean, we, again, your local casino slot machine has a better, a better, uh, chain of custody than your average voting machine. Even the gaming commission is allowed to look inside the slot machine and look at the technology and, and, and make sure that the, that the, uh, you know, that the game is fair, that it's not rigged. And there's a standard that's set. And here's the thing. It goes back to Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky wouldn't let there be one illegitimate roll of the dice in his, in his casinos, in any of his gambling establishments. Why? Because the house already has the advantage. We don't need to cheat. That's just being fucking greedy. 
the House already has the advantage. So we don't need to rig the game. What we need is for the customer to feel they have a legitimate chance to win. And over the long haul, the rule is, the sentiment is, when it comes to gambling and casinos, the house always wins. They're money printers. They don't need to cheat. You come give your money to them to have the escape or the adrenaline rush or the, or the serotonin or dopamine hit, uh, the, the adrenaline rush right before the dice stop rolling or the, the dopamine hit that comes from winning, or for some of you weird cucks, the dopamine hit that comes from losing it all. Either way, the, the casino is, the, the money is just a, 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 is, is a function of the human psychology getting off on the uncertain, manufactured uncertainty, controlled uncertainty, controlled chaos. It's like a drug. It is a drug. That's why gambling is a severe addiction. That's why you got people now betting on slapping contests. I mean, it's getting wild out here. I'm just telling you. I know that's a tangent, but it's a reality. The point is, there's a better verification process on that than there is our voting machines, but you want to tell me Donald Trump is the threat to democracy. I think the culture writ large is the threat to democracy. I think the normalcy around this corrupt status quo is the threat to democracy. I don't see Donald Trump as the significant threat to democracy. In fact, when Donald Trump says, hey, this election was, was rigged, it was stolen. Just recently on, on Meet the Press, about a month back, I think it was, I, showed the, showed the, I think I showed the clip. If I didn't, I'll show it in one of the episodes to come, a few clips at least. But the interview was so revealing of, of MSNBC and, and I think her, uh, Kirsten Walker, I think that was her name. She was the one who did the moderation with Vivek and the video I'm going to play. Uh, and, and she was the one who did the interview of Donald Trump. And she was one of the people who um, perpetuated the Russian collusion hoax, which has now been deemed a, a hoax. Um. But, you know, Donald Trump said in that, in that interview a number of times, hey, this, uh, the election was stolen. Oh, there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of that. The evidence is you. <laughs> You're the evidence. We don't even have to talk about the voter machines, and that's my next point. We don't have to talk about the machines and the machines being, uh, you know, uh, in, unsecured, which is a fact that the proprietary technology is protected by United States patent laws. So in order to find the evidence, in order to find the evidence, you would need to prove that the elections are not secure. You have to go a place that the courts, the rule of law, won't allow you to go. Exactly what Edward Snowden said. With all these black op missions, with all of these classified documents, with all of these laws around sharing of information and intelligence and espionage and the Logan Act and all these other things, you can't prove the corruption, you can't prove the lie without breaking the law. And that's how the corrupt have used the court and the law, the rule of law, to insulate themselves from the people. Thus, the people naturally fearing their government because we can feel that there's a firewall between us and the information that we would need to prove that these people are not representing us in an honest way. We don't have to talk about the voting machines, though. <laughs> Let's talk about the media's role. Let's talk about the election tampering of the media. Let's talk about how there's rules for candidates like myself. 
where you where I, you you have to give an equal amount of time to each candidate to each candidate or each party uh when you have a platform of of a major federal election is there anything equal about is there anything equal about the distribution of time on on the uh the the mainstream media platforms for the liberals and the conservatives is there anything is there anything remotely equal about it it's not remotely equal and it's not just CNN or MSNBC or or uh you know the the nightly news on on ABC primetime or what it's the entire mainstream media industrial complex and all of the messages that they spread through their content to the would be voter of any given election the 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 liberalism and the the democrat perspective on things is vastly over overrepresented in our mainstream media vastly overrepresented and everybody knows it it's actually probably a violation of of very basic compliance laws of election of of of, of a, a what they would call um election um laws it's actually it's actually the 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 level with which the democrat and liberal political platforms overrepresented with liberals and Democrats and those ideas is probably in violation of basic election compliance laws. Basic. Laws that they'll come down on individual candidates for, like me who has my own show, and they'll say, hey, you, you know, you, you have to give equal time to the, to the Democrats or to your opponent or whatever. Sure. Amy Klobuchar, you want to come on, please call me crazy. You got an open invite. For as long as you need to. Five hours. Ten hours. We can go ten hours straight. Marathon. Me and you sitting across from each other one-on-one until one of us breaks. One of us folds. One of us says, uncle. Fine. Perfect. She would never do it. The point is, she doesn't need to do it. Because the entire liberal ethos of our political culture is tilted in one direction through the mainstream media. And we all know it. So when the mainstream media conspires with the intelligence community to forward a story that 51 intelligence community officers signed about Russia having colluded and that end up not being true, that's election tampering. The elections are not secure. And my point about January 6th is this, and it is my, my, my point is simple. There is a circumstance out there. There is a a set of uh, circumstances out there with which American citizens should rightfully be upset at the point of rebellion and revolt when it comes to what their government has done, what their government is doing. You're seeing that right now on the other side. Everybody who's free Palestine or in some cases pro-Hamas are taken to the streets right now. And what is the limit? The limit should probably should rightfully be peaceful protests, of course. But again, the point that that the other side is making, the point that the government and the elite are making is under no circumstances should our corruption have us feel any real immediate danger. And here's another lie that was told. Oh, my goodness. Democracy itself was threatened. Democracy itself was in jeopardy. Who would believe that? I mean, think of how stupid you have to be to 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 believe that had the 6,000 
uh, uh, people on January 6th got into the Capitol, completely taking the Capitol over, let's say, just just taking the Capitol over, um, who believes that they were going to actually be able to topple democracy? Are you under the false presumption that the entire government is run from the Capitol? Do you know how many layers, how many, how many systems, how many, how many, uh, you know, how many different agencies of power exist to ensure that one takeover in one spot couldn't topple the entire system in government? I mean, if you really believe that, then you think we're wide open to any terrorist cell any day of the week coming into any place, any place of significance in America uh, and, 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 you know, fundamentally shutting down the entire democracy. It's not even remotely reasonable. It's not remotely logical. It's a fantasy. It's an embellishment. It's, it's an exaggeration from a bunch of people that often exaggerate just like, like AOC, right? These people often exaggerate. What really could have went down on, on January 6th is that AOC found herself tied up and in, a, and in a pickle. That's what could have really happened for sure. She could have been in danger, but there was no threat to the broader democracy. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous in every sense of the word. You think if those, if those rioters really, dis- first off, they didn't. That's number one. We should just, we should just say, start that from the outset. They didn't take over the Capitol. And the, what they did in the Capitol ended up being quite easily stopped by whatever, whatever law enforcement was in the area once they, once they got it under control. So it was pretty well contained locally. Um, but just for argument's sake, had they taken over the Capitol and been able to, uh, well, you think they would have been able to shut down the power grid? Do you think they would have been able to stop the the water uh, systems, or do you think they would have been able to stop the SWIFT system, the banking system? I mean, come on. I mean, we have this this thin veil of 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 uh, um, <laughs> we have this uh, unreasonable sense of security uh, or this kind of fantasy about how the government works in general. And it's not by accident that your American civics have become so lost on your average American citizen. It's not by accident so that when a situation like that happens, they can manufacture the consent of you to demonize these people or demonize Donald Trump to say he threatened to topple democracy. You have to be dumb to believe that. Honest to God, respectfully to anybody out there, you're showing a level of stupidity that you have to really put on trial. You got to put that on trial within yourself. There's something about, and I'm not saying you're a dumb person. I'm saying that's a dumb belief. And some of it we have, many of us have them about many things. So, you're, you know, you're not alone. I'm not, I'm not demonizing you or kicking you out saying, you know, you're out. We would like you to come in. But you got to put that type of stuff on trial, my man, my guy. Young men, young women, ladies and gentlemen, you have to, my friends, fellow Americans, you have to put that type of, of logic on trial within yourself for yourself. There is something going on in the mainstream media, information, zeitgeist, that has you susceptible to that type of bullshit. I don't care how far the January 6th protesters got. 
they weren't going to stop that. They weren't going to bring the entire country to its knees. Not possible. Number one, America's longstanding policy is that we don't negotiate with terrorists. I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie Survivor, Designated Survivor, but in the event that the, you know, unfortunately, God forbid, the president would die, the vice president would die, the, the, the uh, you know, the speaker of the house and the whole line, there are people all the way down that line who that chain of succession of authority would go to. Hello? I mean, is that lost on people? Do you not realize that? So the, and, and, and in the event that these six people were able to create the biggest ruckus, the biggest, you know, shitstorm that this country's ever seen, how long do you think that they would have lasted if the American military showed up? And do you think that them taking the Capitol would have, would have stopped the American military? Most of them were unarmed. And if they were, were armed, they surely showed a restraint and a, and a lack of desire to take it to that level. Honestly. They showed a lack of restraint. They, they showed a, a, not a lack of restraint. They showed a level of restraint and a lack of willingness to take it to that escalated level of using firearms if they did bring them. But I'm, I'm under the impression that a lot of those people weren't armed. I wasn't there. All I can see is video. All I can hear are the stories. All I can hear is the testimony. But again, in the podcast, what I'm trying to teach people about is common sense, how to look at a thing, how to look at a thing in this world where it's becoming AI and everything can be modified digitally and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's getting scary, no doubt. Just look at a thing with your own two eyes and be able to, to, to understand the, the human condition well enough, the human mind, the human psychology to make a, a, a common sense assessment on your own. If the January 6th protesters were armed and they had a willingness, a, 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 a willingness or a desire to escalate things to that level, a lot more people would have been killed that day. And the military would have needed to come in or the National Guard or the FBI or whoever it is and, and contain that situation. And they would have been able to. And those January 6th protesters would have been very hard pressed to sustain any long-term coup, quote-unquote, under those circumstances. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? So don't come on MSNBC, Rachel Maddow, with your posh, yuppie, omnisexual, uh, uh, you know, too smart for my own good haircut and try and tell me, try and tell me that, that on January 6th, democracy itself was threatened. It's an insult. It's an insult to people who you think don't know better about democracy and who you think don't know better about their citizenship, which you show all the time in the other day with how you bastardize us and, and speak down to us when it comes to any other issue regarding our citizenship. Just more of the same. And then you want me to believe that a man who said to be peaceful is actually the root cause of what happened on January 6th and not the spirit, not the, 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 uh, the distrust that exists in the culture for government in either direction. I, I mean, how stupid do you think I am? I mean, this is getting to a level now where the, 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 the amount of stupid I would be required, the, the amount of stupid I would need to be to believe this narrative is way out there now. I mean, sequentially, it, 
at each step, it's getting a little bit more out there, obviously. Now I'm supposed to believe that Donald Trump is the sole reason that January 6th took place, that an insurrection took place. I'm not even willing to call it an insurrection because I'm just not I'm just not corny like that. I'm not soft like that. I, I, be, I have a better understanding of how government works. And, and I could look at our CIA and I can look at how the American, I could look at Libya, I could look at Egypt, I could look at some other places where there have actually been, uh, the Philippines, you know, there's been other places where actually, where, where coup d'etats have taken place, where military coups have taken place, where rebellion, uh, rebel, rebel revolts and, and topplings of governments and regimes have taken place. January 6th didn't look nothing like that. And I said that on the podcast a couple of weeks back. I could take January 6th and I could take the the, the BLM uh, riots or the BLM protests. Doesn't hold a candle to what happened in Egypt. And you're seeing that right now because something about the energy of these Palestine, free Palestine type of, of rallies has a groundswell to it that's magnetic, right? And the energy is different. It ain't like, oh, a black man was killed, now we get to use a black man to push our Marxist agenda. It's like, this might be it. We might be rolling with the Muslims and the Arabs over the white, the, the, the white Anglo-Saxon patriarchy. There's a different energy there, right? Everybody knew they was going to go back to business as usual after George Floyd. They was just waiting to see how long they wanted to, to, to milk it. This is different. It's a cautionary tale to all you conservatives and Republicans and everybody in America. Um, but... You want me to believe Donald Trump is responsible for January 6th? No, we're responsible. We are as Americans, and more, more importantly, the, the, the corrupt D.C. elite that cried foul and p- played like they were the victim of January 6th are responsible. And I can make a very categorical case as to why that's the truth. Because if it wasn't for, the, if it wasn't for how common, how common and, and widespread the American people felt about corruption in D.C., then the level of distrust when it comes to our elections couldn't exist. But it does exist. And that can't be thrown on the feet of Donald Trump. That can't be thrown at the feet of Donald Trump because, like I said, just 16 years earlier, we had a more significant distrust of the American government expressed by the American people. And there are intelligence agencies, intelligence community operations to topple governments and be involved in, in, you know, stealing elections and rigging elections all around the world, on record. That's the business the CIA was in. That's why they had to go to the Iran-Contra scandal to get money and drugs and and guns in a three-way trade with the Sandinistas and the Iranians. Because an America First Congress after Vietnam said, we're not in the business of toppling governments, toppling regimes. And old Daddy Bush and the boys found a workaround the truth it's the history that's the history a more america first congress after the vietnam war said we do not need to be in the business of toppling governments we're america first our cia needs to mind its own fucking business you can't say that 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 defense begins everywhere that's not tenable i mean if i'm playing basketball yeah i could play 94 feet i get it we could go full court press and you know what from a basketball standpoint, I actually like a good full court press. I, I don't I don't mind that at all. I love a good full court press. But you can't be defending people out in the parking lot. 
I mean, come on. What kind of shot is he going to take from the parking lot? Can't be guarding people on the bench. Come on now. In the stands. You can't be out, out of bounds guarding people. That don't make any sense. There's a reasonable constraint bound by the perimeter of the court, the playable court, the in-play court, with which you, you can operate and you can defend from. And that makes perfect sense. But it can't be everywhere at all times. It just becomes, and you know what would happen? If you, if you actually had a, a basketball culture where you could be defending everywhere and the game was all over the arena, it was all over the gym, you had people bouncing basketballs out back through the hallways and you had people trying to steal it and they were all running at once to try and shoot a basket, you'd have people that weren't even playing the game anymore. You'd have people back there in the back hallways ducked off in a, in a janitor's closet smoking crack, jerking off because... <laughs> I mean, the game is infinite, so I'll get around to shooting baskets, I guess, when I feel like it. It would completely water down and, and diminish the meaning of the game itself. I'm not buying the story about Donald Trump. Donald Trump and the America First movement is not about the personalities. It's not about the person. It's about the policies and the ideas. And I want to bring up another video now to show you uh, to, to further what I'm talking about. I got off on a tangent, but I think you guys, I think you guys appreciate it. Um, Here's the great Hillary Clinton. Hillary. Hillary, who was in support of the Iraq war, mind you. The uniparty, bipartisan support going to get Saddam. Security state, Hillary. Security state, Hillary Clinton was in support of the Iraq war. Go figure. Neocon, right? Um, here we go. Is there any area of coalition building that could happen? There are pragmatic Republicans, as you say. Could there be a new, a whole new way of trying to, you know, get legislation going and cross-party governance going by Democrats and certain Republicans forming a coalition? Well, you saw uh, the number of Republicans who voted along with Democrats to keep the government open. So there's clearly a common sense uh, you know, sane uh, part of the Republican caucus in the House. Um, but I think they are intimidated. Uh, they um, oftentimes, you know, say and do things which they know better than to say or do. And it will require us defeating those most extreme measures uh, and the people who promote them in order to try to get to some common ground where people can again work together. That's the way it used to be. I mean, we had very strong partisans in both parties in the past, uh, and we had very bitter battles over all kinds of things, gun control and climate change and the economy and taxes. But there wasn't this little tail of extremism waving, you know, wagging the dog of the uh, Republican Party as it is today. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's Fuck only you. in it for himself. He's now defending Fuck himself you. in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some right point... Right when you come forward and you apologize. Know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but oh, something yeah, needs yeah. to happen. Over my and how dead do you do body. that? Because you said you have to defeat them by defeating their leader. Their leader right. is Donald Trump. Even you have said that you expect him to be the Republican nominee. How does this change at all? I can't even listen. I can't at this listen point, anymore. I think...
I can't listen anymore. I, I hope you guys were able to hear what she said there. Um, if you didn't, you can go watch the video yourselves. But she comes right out there and says, if, you know, they, they may need to be formally deprogrammed. Fuck you, Hillary Clinton. Go fuck yourself, respectfully. Respectfully, not disrespectfully. Respectfully to the audience, disrespectfully to Hillary Clinton and all of the people in her little enclave of, of political corruption. Go fuck yourself, formally deprogram us. When are we going to break with Donald Trump? When are we going to break with the extremism, the little tale of extremism in the Republican Party? Right around the time when you come forward and apologize for, for running an a, a unconstitutional coup there in Libya against Gaddafi. Right on, right about, we'll, we'll come, we'll, you know, we'll break from Donald Trump right around the time when you come on stage and apologize for being involved in the neocon, neoliberal scam there in Iraq. Right around the time when you come forward and, and apologize and admit that you've been towing the line and been pitching the party line around globalism and climate change and, and vaccines and any other thing that the, that the deep state, the security state cooks up there in Langley or wherever else you guys are cooking it up in Davos or Beijing for that matter. Did you sell us out to China? We'll, we'll break from, from Donald Trump and the, and the Make America Great Again ideology when you come forward and apologize for being an absolute fucking ghoul when it comes to American politics, the bane of American politics. Who voted for this woman? Who voted for, who's, who really, who is supporting these people? Raise your hand out there. I get it. I get it. You get you 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 vote blue cucks are out there with it in your bio, and you know you think Hillary Clinton is great. I get it. We don't like her. We'll never like her. So if you if you're at the point where you're saying a formal deprogramming is the only way over our fucking dead bodies, and you may be willing to do it, but guess what? Freedom is an idea that you're going to have to keep fighting back over and over again. You're going to have to use every resource to suppress because eventually it pops up. Oh, and when it pops up and you got real leaders, when you got real, real leaders, I mean real leaders that are willing to die for it, who can articulate it, who can help the people understand how they've been tricked and manipulated by people just like you, Hillary. Oh, you got a fight on your hands that you don't quite understand. And you're getting a heavy dose of that around the world, actually. The neocon, neoliberal order that comes from the Atlanticist elite mentality that the Hillary Rodhams come from, are seeing a full-scale revolt from the Russians, from the Chinese, from the Iranians, from the Saudis, from the Qataris, from the, from the you pick somebody, from the India, from everybody. Everybody's in full-scale revolt against the West. They just haven't got off the convenience. They, they haven't found an off-ramp that will substitute the convenience they feel just yet. But as soon as they do, the Hillary Rodhams will no longer have a position of poshness or aristocrat, and they know it. And that's why they're all in on the military-industrial complex and war, because they know their time is up. But you're not doing it in our name. That's why we're not breaking from MAGA. Because when they come, when they come to, 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 to charge you to account for the shit you've done, we don't want them coming for us too. Now, I'm just being honest. I'm being honest. I'm not with Hillary Clinton. Let me make a very clear and definitive statement. We're all American citizens, but I don't necessarily count the, these people who say that if you think differently, then you're an extremist or you're, you're somehow less of an American citizen. I count you all as the traitors. I count you all as the extremists. You people are extreme 
to the norm of America's foundational values and beliefs in the idea of democracy. And democracy, I get to think whatever I want. You don't get to tell me I'm an extremist and tell me I need to be formally deprogrammed. You're a fucking communist is what you are. So go over there with, with Xi Jinping. You know, you, you kneel at the throne when Xi Jinping shows up to San Francisco if you want to. Let's see, let's see how well they treat you when you no longer got the gun, when the rabbit has the gun. Then we'll see how you'll fare. Then we'll see how we'll, you'll fare. And you know what? I don't want these people protecting me. That's the other thing. My sacred honor, my sacred honor and national honor won't allow me to accept these people's security. And that's the other convert. That's that is the understanding. That is the the turning point that will tip that that is the the turning point that will tip the scales for the America First Nationalist Populist Movement. As soon as we get brave enough to stop accepting the security and 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 um and um what I want to say that the security and protection of this neocon, neoliberal world order is when we can really start to step off the plantation into sovereignty and, and, and rebuild this nation the way it's supposed to be. I don't want the protection of Hillary Clinton. I don't want the protection of George Bush or Dick Cheney or any of these other fucking scam artists. If you trade your freedom for security, you... Deserve neither, and you will have neither. Moving on to the next video, I want to get to this Vivek Ramaswamy clip uh, in short order here. Um, I thought it was a very uh, inspiring one minute and 44 seconds from the, the latest presidential debate. And, and see, when you hear them rail against Ramaswamy, when you hear them say that Nikki Haley and DeSantis were the winners of the debate, you're, he you're hearing them rail against Donald Trump. And all of these people are going to sprinkle a little bit of Donald Trump in because he's the head honcho, right? I mean, he has a broad base of support, so he's kind of setting the standard by which everybody else can pick from to tailor their pitch, their message to the constituent that they think can, can carve a path for them to, to win, which is ludicrous. None of these people have a shot in hell at being the candidate. The fact that they, the, the simple fact that they're all sort of hoping that Donald Trump gets prosecuted and convicted of a crime, which would allow them to become the candidate, is a sign that they're kind of opportunistic, uh, you know, grimy sort of, sort of, uh, you know, puppets, puppet politicians, right? And they're all, they're all, these are all the verticals of the Republican Party that you come to hate, that all you cultural Democrats come to hate. Nikki Haley, warmonger, Chris Christie. Doesn't know who he is. He's a donut away from anything he needs to be to get a clap out of the crowd. Uh, Ron DeSantis, another neocon warmonger, towing the line. He's there to say, hey, I'm, I'm better on all the culture wedge issues than Trump. I banned the LGBTQ. I banned the abortion law. I, I went so far into the extreme almost as to damage the actual progress of, of what we're trying to build here in the America First and conservative movement. If I'm a Catholic and I believe that abortion is a sin, I will take 13 weeks over 15 weeks. I will take 11 weeks over 13 weeks. I will take five weeks over 11 weeks. I will take all the way down to zero. As long as we know that we're working our way down, that is a Christian position. We don't want people to love God by fiat. We want people to willfully submit to God through their own faith. When, you, when you're forced to do it, it's not faith. That's why God doesn't force you to do it.
He helps you, guides you, loves you, shows you charity. But all these neocons, you know, these people are a reflection of the Republican Party that you've come to know and hate. And they all reject Donald Trump. They all reject Donald Trump. I mean, what? let's let Vivek speak for himself here. I mean, he says it better than I even could. Swami, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramaswamy, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn to That's Governor, Governor Christie. Why you? Boom. Boom. It doesn't, get, it doesn't get any more straight down the pipe than that. And oh, wow. I mean. He said it without saying it. I mean, and, and think the whole premise here. I th- think of the premise of the question. Why would you be a better candidate than the former president? And what they're trying to get people to do in a sort of soft and subtle way is delegitimize Donald Trump. And I get that they're running against him, but if any of them had any sacred honor, if any of them had any real national honor, they would be up there saying, like Vivek Ramaswamy actually said in one of the first debates, hey, if I become president because Donald Trump gets convicted, I'm a part of him. They didn't say that. A lot of them didn't say that, or they were slow to the punch to say that. You can go back and look at that clip if you need reference. But if I, it, they should all be standing up there saying right now, the only reason we're up here is because the level of lawfare that's taking place in this country is obviously so profound we actually have to be concerned that the front runner of this presidential election from our from our party will be will be prosecuted in a banana republic kangaroo court. So we're up here so the American people can see another couple faces just in case we have to go to plan B that they may be comfortable with with us as 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 an, an option. That's what they should be saying. But they're not really saying that. And the entire debate isn't even set up for them to make that kind of claim. The whole thing is meant to delegitimize Donald Trump, which is why when Vivek Ramaswamy basically goes out there and speaks as a proxy 
for a genuine America first policy position like a Donald Trump would do if he would even give these scam artists the time of day. They come out the next day and say Nikki Haley won the debate. And that's what they want you to think out there in the conservative movement. They want you to think Nikki, neocon Nikki Haley is the option. She's the front runner. I can't, I can't, I can't understand for the life of me who would like Nikki Haley. I mean, anybody. I don't know anybody who would or should like Nikki Haley. Honest to God, there's nothing I like about her. There is nothing I like about her. I said the other day when I was on Professor Penn, Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, Tim Scott, South Carolina, and he's just, you know, he's milk toast to the to the max. You know, he's he is the he is the black bourgeois conservative that is just as dangerous as the black bourgeois Democrat uh, or liberal, right? He's just meant to be there mild-mannered and kind of paint the edges and not really ruffle any feathers and and say the thing that seems obvious, but it really doesn't strike any, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with anybody because it's just so flaccid. It it ain't, it ain't, it ain't, it, it it's not proportionate to what we're faced with in this country right now. Tim Scott, South Carolina, so I believe, I, I think. Uh Nikki Haley, South Carolina. What's going on here in South Carolina? Somebody tell me. South Carolinas, please speak up. Speak up. I said the other day, I'm sure if we went to that demographic there and we looked at the at the makeup of the people who are voting for Nikki Haley, Lindsey Graham, and Tim Scott, or or any of these other rhino neocons, you'd find a bunch of middle-aged white Protestants. That's just the reality. And, and uh, that, look, that's not an indictment. Well, it's somewhat of an indictment, yeah, but it's not a final, a final indictment, an absolute indictment. Stand up. Stand up, my Protestant brothers and sisters, and get rid of these people. Why are you voting for these people? What part of the rhetoric, what kind of cultural wedge issue are they feeding you where you would allow them to represent you? Whatever it is, you need to spit it out. You need to spit it out and flush it down the toilet or send it down the drain because it's poison. These people are poison to the max. To the max. And I thought what Vivek Ramaswamy said was, was Rana, you should resign. Of, of course you should resign. And then, you know, the, 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 the rumor is that when he when he said that, you know, Rana's going around saying that they won't get they, you know, won't receive a dime from us. The first thing I did, you wonder why my Senate campaign site isn't up yet? Because I gotta run, I gotta run to go get the information to make sure that we got an antidote uh fundraising platform on the Senate campaign so people can choose between one or the other. Now, if you want to still use WinRed and it's easy for you for whatever reason, I get it. But if you're one of those people who sees, you know, who wants to starve the 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 RNC out at all costs, I completely understand that and support that as well. The real the real issue is we need an America First platform. We need an America First fundraising platform that's integrated into these elections, where we know that the money that's getting cooked off of the percentages to do the transaction is going to actually save in this country. That's what we need. Somebody needs to get to work on it today, right now. I don't have the time. I'm running for United States Senate. But the idea is being put out there. Somebody out there right now needs to create an America First fundraising platform where the percentages taken from transactions do not get diverted back to Rana, Rana, Ronald, McDonald, Romney type Republicans. 
I call her Ronald, Ronald McDonald, but she's a clown. She's a clown and the RNC is full of clowns. This entire debate, Vivek is 100% right. This entire debate is starting from a clown show. Starting from a clown perspective. You're going to let your arch rivals moderate the debate? And not even your arch rivals in a legitimate sense, in a completely caricatured sense. I mean, they're not even legitimate rivals in that they're actually, they actually have a, a, an opposing view that they're willing to present facts on. They just lie. And like he pointed out, Christian Welker just lied about the Russian collusion hoax. They had no evidence. All they had were, were, um, was information that they assumed to be true based on their allegiance and their fealty and their obsession or their infatuation with, with elitist credential and expertise. That's what they had. And it's going to continue to be the downfall of America unless people continue to stand up and call bullshit. Ronald should resign. It was great that we got McCarthy out. Carl Rove should be next. If you find a candidate that's connected to Carl Rove, do not support them. If you're a candidate out there in this country and, and, and the people who are coming to help you consult or fundraise or whatever the case may be are connected to Carl Rove, do not support them. And when we do, we conflate the difference between America first and what Donald Trump has sacrificed to be able to plant a flag for a separation between us and these rhino neocon crooks, the same as the ones who brought us into an Iraq war that still is a dark mark on our country right now. To leave here, I'm going to play you in a video about the uh, a, a final video. I hope you enjoyed the program tonight. Um, I hope I'm doing a little bit better with my language. Uh, I don't I don't really feel like again, I feel like my language is proportionate to the, the, the severity and of the crisis we face. But I understand that some people want to be want to want to be able to choose the language that their children are exposed to. And I respect that because I'm a father myself. Um, so I'm trying to work on my profanity, but some of these things are so obscene, it's quite difficult not to go to that level. And, and, and I'm going to be honest. I think I, I, I'm going to be brutally honest. I think this sort of civil 501c3 Christian, um, you know, thin veil of, 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 uh, of, of politeness is what became political correctness and became this, this culture where we let people come up to the podium who are polished, who are polite, who are eventually, uh, you know, rendered puppet politicians. We let this become the norm. And we always think there's a polite way to talk about things. There's a way we should talk about things. And, and to tie it in perfectly, I think, to the episode and why Donald Trump, this is why they don't like Donald Trump. Is because with some of these things, there's no polite way to say it. There's no polite way to say it. Just like with some things, there's no polite way to do it. And, and I get it. That line gets blurry. That line is, is not an easy line to draw. But I think the overwhelming majority of people who are listening to this, no matter what your political, no matter what your political affiliation, you can, you can at least admit that we are in dire times, severe times, times of significant crisis. 
significant corruption. So with that being the case, with it being so overwhelmingly tilted in one direction towards the corrupt, towards the wicked, towards the crisis, I would say that the, 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 the level with which we show outrage and, and that we're willing to engage with the stuff from a, you know, from a, from a conversational standpoint shows that we're not really ready for change like we say we are. We're not, even really, we're not even really ready to change the way we talk. We're not even really ready to change the way we feel when we hear the way other people talk based on the situation we're in. As the game gets closer, as the stakes get raised, as the gym becomes louder, the coach has to change the way that he talks in order to address the circumstance or the environment that he's in. If the gym is a little bit bigger, I may have to yell a little bit further. If the gym is a little bit smaller and there's a lot more people, so it's a little more loud, I may have to yell a little bit, a little bit closer. If that makes sense, I may have to yell. I, I may have to send you out with directions before you even get out on the court because it's so loud. You're not going to be able to hear me from the sideline. That's going to be how well you were coached ahead of time. Well, obviously, we're dealing with an American populace that has not been well coached ahead of the, the, the issue, ahead of time. We're dealing with a crisis where people need extreme ideological, political, cultural, social intervention in real time. And those interventions are never polite. But I am trying to work on my profanity genuinely for the people out there who may want the children to listen to the podcast. And I'm doing it for the children. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it for your adult, you adults out there who have those sensitive ears. You people are part of the problem. I'll do it on behalf of your children. But I'm not doing I want to be very clear. I'm not doing it for you. If you're that soft where you can't deal with the profanity, you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself how we let the country get this way. Because when we have corrupt people like Hillary Clinton, again, being given ample time to spew her political nonsense on mainstream media industrial complex television and then, and then talk about how elections are legitimate, there's nothing legitimate about that. Why are they letting, letting Hillary Clinton, a known liar, a, a, a court-documented liar, get up there and talk about why MAGA Republicans are extremists and need to be formally deprogrammed? It's completely inappropriate, and it may, in fact, be illegal. Unitary executive authority. They found they, they got a bunch, of judge, uh, a, a bunch of constitutional lawyers and judges and justices and people together to justify why George Bush and his cronies had all of this power and autonomy to go into Iraq and do things that were unconstitutional, to wage a war without the consent of Congress. They found a workaround for that, an interpretation of the law. I'm sure there's an interpretation of the law that would see Hillary Clinton's dishonesty as illegal and maybe treasonous. And there's a lot of them. And they're going to try to say the same things about us. And that's where we are in this country. And that's unfortunate. But there's no polite way to talk about it. The days of politeness are long gone. All the easy answers are behind us. All the easy answers are behind us now. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio, powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. If you have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us and help fund the movement. 
help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that is exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast for another episode, episode 131, I believe. We appreciate your viewership and listenership today and in the future. You can visit freepeopleradio.com to find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast. You can also follow us on social media. You can follow me on social media. We got Hebrews coming. We got The Last Renaissance coming. We got The Royce White Show coming. We got a number of things on the horizon in terms of contents and, and new shows and properties that you can follow. If you get a chance, please hit the like button, subscribe. Leave a comment. Leave a real comment. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your thoughts of the pace of the show or anything that you'd like to see added. Uh, this show is going to stay formatted this way for the most part on the Royce White Show. That's going to be Saturday nights. We're going to do call-ins. We're going to do live chat interactions. We're going to do uh, you know video reactions, and uh, we're going to have interview guests. So that, that two-hour and 30-minute show that we do or that two-hour show that we do is going to kind of be like a, a, a full-spectrum sort of um, sort of show, you know, more of a show. Please Call Me Crazy is a podcast. The Royce White Show is going to be an actual show that's produced as such. So um, I hope you enjoy this format. This this was always intended to be um, my, my, you know, my little, my little corner of the world to talk about things the way that I want to talk about them, the way that I talk about them in my head so that you out there, the, the future fan, subscriber, constituent, voter, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, can can hear me in an authentic way, not like these puppet politicians that show up on the podium and talk to you just the way that's been pre-approved by their by their masters, by their their overlords. I don't I don't want to be that kind of public uh, figure. I don't want to be that kind of leader. I want you to know me as if you really knew me. And I hope when I use language that I would normally use in my own household sometimes that you get to know me how I really am. And that you come to appreciate that. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. But I tell you what, you're always going to get the honest truth from me when I'm sitting in this chair. And I hope you come to come to believe that. Um, we're going to go out with a video here. I hope you understand the severity of what's going on. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed. The good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less. So we can lead, but if people aren't following, we're not going to, to get to where we want to go. 